The Buffy Virgin podcast is sponsored by horror comics cartoonist Dennis St. John, creator of the weird Lovecraftian horror graphic novel Amelia, which you can order from DennisComics.com. While Dennis is a regular guest on the podcast, we sometimes forget to talk about all the cool projects he's working on, but that is no more. Dennis St. John is now on Patreon, and for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to his sketchbooks, monster drawings, Buffy the Vampire Slayer monster drawings, as well as updates on his convention appearances and comic book progress reports. Now that's for a dollar for $5 a month to get access to the Dennis St. John Monster Club, which gives you access to work-in-progress comic pages, as well as uh, some thumbnails, very cool stuff. And as somebody like myself who's just interested in uh, comics and getting started as an artist, I find this behind-the-scenes stuff very interesting. Dennis shows his process from outline to final ink. So to become a patron of Dennis St. John and to join the Monster Club, you go to patreon.com slash Dennis St. John, that's D-N-I-S-S-T-J-O-H-N, or to just buy horror comics, because you find becoming a patron of the graphic arts distasteful in some way, you go to denniscomics.com, D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X, so comics with an X because it's cool, and you can pick up a copy of Amelia or The Loop Guru or any of his other horror comic books. In every generation, there is a virgin. He alone will watch the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness for the first time at least once a week. I am a Buffy virgin. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Buffy Virgin. My name is Michael Poli. I'm the virgin. I've only seen up to the last two episodes of season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, and today on the show, we have Dennis St. John, a horror comics cartoonist. A pleasure to be here. Travis. Hello, hello. And uh, John, a teacher and Buffy enthusiast. That's me. So, welcome back to the show. Uh, every episode, we have a long list of things that we go through. We have weird noticings and trivia, which is now just kind of a noticings. Uh, then we go through a questions for the group themes, deep stuff. There's Buffy quotes that come before that. There's a kill count. There's recommendations. There's predictions. A lot of stuff that goes on in this episode. But before we do any of that, we do a summary. So Travis, I believe you're going to give us a summary of Becoming Part 1 and 2, the last two episodes of Season 2 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's final season for Buffy and the Scooby Gang in more, more than one way. In this time-traveling episode, we travel from Ireland to London to Romania to New York to Los Angeles and also, of course, to present-day Sunnydale. We are first transported to Galway, Ireland in the late 1700s where we finally see the circumstances of Angel's death and rebirth as a vampire. He shows no fear or regret as Darla creates the monster we know as Angelus with the simple line, Close your eyes. Back to Sunnydale, we see that Buffy is in the top of her form, killing vampires, while Xander is more literal human cannon fodder, but with a great attitude. The local museum has acquired an ominous and unknown stone artifact that usually in other towns would be an exciting and not dangerous discovery. Frustrated with both Angel and her studies, Buffy accepts help from Willow to study chemistry. It's during this study session in Miss Callender's office that Buffy and Willow discover the impossible, the translated Romanian text that will reinsole Angel. Another flashback ensues to show us the depravity of Angel, and we see him pretending to be a Catholic priest in London, taking the confession of the pure Drusilla. He tells her that she is a devil child, and she is a spawn of Satan, and that she is to be evil, as that is the way the world works. Little would Angelus know that not 50 years later, he would be wandering like a savage dog through the Romanian woods, trying to prevent the curse on his soul. As long as he has a soul, he'll be haunted by all those he killed and made suffer. 
In present day, we learn that the demon Akatha has been whispering to Drusilla sweet nothings of torment and destruction. This was a demon who was on the brink of world destruction until he was pierced in the heart by a noble knight with a special sword and then died and turned into a stone statue. Angelus and Drusilla have their own night at the museum and still the big bad beastie to suck the world into hell. The only way to re-ensoul Angelus is through magic, dangerous magic that not even Rupert the Ripper is comfortable casting. The plan is set. Buffy will try and kill Angel, and failing that, she hopes that Willow, Giles, Xander, and Cordelia will be able to cast a spell to bring another hundred years of suffering onto Angelus. However, they aren't alone, as the only other woman in the world capable of fighting evil of this magnitude has shown up to lend her fists to the cause. That is Kendra, the Vampire Slayer. In another flashback, we see the enigmatical Demon Whistler with a ragged and disheveled angel in New York City. He tells Angel that his destiny is bigger, and then Demon transports him to Los Angeles to witness the struggles of a young vampire slayer named Buffy. After taking one look at her, he wants to become someone and help her. Angelus's boldness grows, and he sends an immolation gram to Buffy in school, challenging her to a fight that, that night. Buffy goes and confronts Angelus, but this was just a trap to kidnap Rupert and attack the Scooby gang in the library. Stander has his right arm broken, Kendra is murdered by Drusilla, and Willow is rendered unconscious under a bookshelf. Only Cordelia escapes from the library unharmed. When Buffy returns, the police have arrived and place her under arrest. However, she escapes custody and is on the run. She puts on a hat as a disguise, goes to the hospital where she finds Xander, Cordelia, and the comatose Willow. Willow has had a traumatic brain injury and lays in a coma. Where is Giles? He is kidnapped by Angelus to be tortured for information. Buffy finds Whistler in Giles' apartment and finds out that Angel was pulled back into this world to prevent the rising of a Catholic. She is almost taken into custody again when Spike shows up and saves her. It turns out that the one vampire on her side is not her ex-boyfriend, but her mortal enemy, Spike. Spike likes the world as it is. He likes the comforts and the food. He doesn't want to throw that away and live in hell. He makes a true deal with the devil, the world's life for his and Drusilla's ongoing existence. On Willow's apparent deathbed, Xander finally confesses his love for her, and she awakens, only to ask for Oz, who finally gets to the hospital. Buffy and Spike return to her home to plan the attack. Buffy is forced to stake a vampire and reveal her true identity and curse to her mother. Joyce, who remains in denial, tells Buffy that if she leaves, she is no longer welcome in her house. Buffy faced with either letting the world end or letting her world end, walks out to fulfill her destiny. She finally goes to confront, confront Snyder as well, as he fulfills his own twisted desire of expelling her from school. Willow, Cordelia, and Oz try again to reinstall Angel and send Xander to help Buffy. He neglects to mention this to her, however. In the final battle, Xander helps rescue Giles, while Buffy and Angels fight to the death. Spike also escapes with Drusilla to live another day. At the moment where Angelus would have struck the killing blow, Buffy closes her eyes and stops him with her bare hands. Too late to save Angel, Willow succeeds and curses him again with a soul. However, the spell to raise a Catholic cannot be reversed without Angelus' blood. She tells him to close his eyes, and she kills him and saves the world for the second time. Despite saving the world, she has no desire to stay in it, and she leaves Sunnydale and her friends and family. I need a hug. <laughs> Such an intense episode. There's so much going on in this two-parter. 
Yeah. Finally, a two-parter that deserves two parts. There was this deserves like five parts. There's so much happens. Yeah. It's almost like they had to plot ahead for like three episodes in a row. So <laughs> uh, should we start with some of the best lines, our favorite lines from this episode? I'll, I'll start with mine. Uh, this is, it was such a random scene to me, but when this kind of witch character walks into the school tonight, sundown, you'll come to him tonight or die. His hour is at hand. Crazy witch lady. She's great. And then uh, my, my favorite archaeologist character, this old archaeologist <laughs> who says, I'll go out on a limb and say old. It's <laughs> totally like the antithesis of what I imagine a real archaeologist is like. Just big, big dummy. I, mean, I, I feel like yeah. somebody was temping. Like the real director of the museum was like on vacation. <laughs> and, and like they brought in this temp and he was like, God, I was working in the mail. The, I was working in the mail office, the mail room just last week, and they promoted me to museum curator. Yeah, some people move up in the profession just like they get yeah through other jobs. Like he clearly didn't. Sunnydale has this attrition, so he probably forgot to ask what happened to the, the last museum creator, curator. Yeah, probably if you live like a year, you can be the president of any organization in Sunnydale. Peter Principal <laughs> over there at the museum. Ah, My well, favorite I mean, line was about. Uh, where they kept they kept getting the demon's name wrong, and at one point Buffy just calls him Al Franken. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. Uh, Dennis, go next. Um, I would love to be upstairs watching TV or gossiping about boys or God, even studying, but I have to save the world again. Uh, I just think that's a really solid line. Um, and Joyce's like denial, the like, have you tried not being the Slayer? Is it because you didn't have a strong male role model? Uh, that one felt so true. Oh, it's amazing. Such an amazing, like, yeah, it hit home uh, emotionally. It's amazing. And then this is the first time I've ever quoted Angel. Uh, but the um, the last time I tortured somebody, they didn't even have chainsaws. Yes, that was a good line. <laughs> Do the spike accent, Dennis. <laughs> People. Billions of people walking around like Happy Meals on Wheels. Awesome. That's a spike line. Yeah, that's a spike. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Did the spike accent. Okay. Oh, this, okay. okay. So for yeah, me, I had a bunch. Spike can fake an accent. This is spikes. <laughs> yeah. The best part is we actually did not choose any overlapping lines, I'm realizing. So this is like one of those two parters where we don't share lines. So mine are Snyder, this isn't an orgy, people. It's a classroom. Buffy says, Yeah, where we teach lunch. Because it was lunchtime. It was like, it was an amazing retort. And then uh, Willow, Willow says, I've gone through most of Miss Calendar's files already. And Buffy says, does that make this less morbid or are you more morbid? Just such a like hilarious back and forth. Um, and then, oh, somehow this is in here. And then Whistler uh, says uh, to Angel, right now you couldn't go three rounds with a fruit fly. <laughs> just, just so ridiculous. Uh, man, Whistler, such a great Whistler is insane. <laughs> um, and then Buffy's like, um, uh, well, then he also says, eh, this is not a great line. Um, but the one where he goes, where Buffy and Spike are talking, and Buffy's like, all right, talk. And Spike's like, just let me kill this guy. And Buffy goes, <clears throat> let's get inside. And he doesn't kill the guy. Like Spike was like, gonna kill this police officer. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, Actually, like, I, the other thing I like about that scene is that the cop, like, regains consciousness, and instead of being like, I gotta escape or something, he's like, I'm just gonna lay on the hood of my car for, like, 
until these guys leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, lots of great lines in these two episodes. So we'll move on to noticings, which is just things that we noticed. So we're doing it more or less in the order in which things happen, but there may be a little bit of confusion, but mostly in the order in which things happen in these two episodes. So right off the bat, my first noticing was uh, beware unexpected cleavage that offers you trips around the world. Uh, when, um, what's the character's name that shows up? Uh, Darla. Darla. When Darla the return of Darla. Up. Yeah, yeah. Who I didn't expect to see again, but uh, here's Darla again. Um, With her isn't she blood. awesome? Hold on, Mike. You saw her for all of, like, she gets killed so early in season one. Isn't she a really, she's really good in this episode. I just want to say that. She, uh, she totally Aladdin's um, uh, angel. The... Well, let's, let's talk about something. What does because... it mean to Aladdin someone? Just curious. <laughs> to promise to take them and show them the world. Yeah. Oh, okay. She's sorry. like. <laughs> let I got what he meant right away. World. <laughs> no, I get, like, what? No, I get it now. I just. Uh, I, have, I have. I uh, have. Speaking as someone who has. Uh, it's attempted to Aladdin many, many. <laughs> uh, it is not easily done, let me tell you. Do you go, do you trust me? Well, shoot. Uh, yeah, not in as many words. <laughs> you use less words? Uh, and then, hold on. I just, I don't. I'm not, less words, I, more mixtapes. Oh, okay. It, it helps if when you're landing someone, you have more cleavage to show off. That really that, that was probably my problem was not enough cleavage. Actually, uh, Aladdin had quite a bit of uh, cleavage. Yeah. That vest. That, the classic that Aladdin vest. leads little to the imagination. Now we know why. Now we know why he wore the vest. Yep. I didn't have a vest. That's my problem. That was problem number one. Mm. Yeah, the song is unnecessary. <laughs> it's the vest. Uh, John, you're saying, uh, how long does it take to change an accent? You're just curious because... Uh, you know, we flash back to uh, Angel with his uh, weird, not great Irish accent, and then we flash forward, and he's, you know, on the streets, and he's uh, apparently in his homeless time. He learned an American accent. I don't know I, what happened yeah, there. He never really fully committed to his Irish accent to begin with. He was like, "Oh, faith in Bagora." Like he's terrible. I can say that his Irish accent is so atrocious. Even an Angel, it never gets better. This is. Like the baseline of the accent. I and think it's like Angel is like embarrassed by like, or David Boreanaz is like, I'm going to try an accent. And then he gets embarrassed about halfway through a word and he gives up and he's like, goes back to those hard R's. It's, it's really confusing because either he really can't do it or on set, everything is, you know, fake. None of this is real. So if they say, you know, hey, you've got to have an accent, you kind of try and have an accent on set. It's that's what I don't understand is how that they they finish filming these scenes and being like, well, every well, fourth word had an accent. Well, I, I understand <laughs> Dave went to a, like two Renaissance fairs and studied under a uh, sword maker in order to get that accent. So it took him quite a while to master it. Like it was it was really he was there for two whole hours, you know, in two separate sessions. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't understand how how the accent like escaped. And then it never got corrected. Like in episodes of Angel, it's never corrected. Yeah, um, and I think they purposely don't do a lot of flashbacks to his Irish time. Like they, they do, well, they do, <laughs> they do enough. I'll, and that gets a whole separate thing. But then I mean, there's like even like, an episode of Angel where he becomes like a 16 year old, and they're like, "We're just not going to do the accent." <laughs> like it was just like, "Oh, I lost my accent for some reason. Weird." 
Yeah, it's better when they give up on the accent. Um, but what's funny is Darla has no like n- her accent is totally wrong too. It, it it's it's her so she doesn't even uh, in one episode Darla has an accent, but um, but this is this episode it's like no, it's Darla has like. It, it totally modern incorrect American accent. accent. It's a yeah. modern American accent. And it could not, it, it literally couldn't have existed the way she speaks uh, back then. It, it, It'd no be better whether, if they just went full on with her talking like California, yeah. like Valley Girl talk. That would have been like. Jawbreakers. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, can't you just suspend disbelief for this time travel pit? Like we really need I'm to. Already sp- I'm already suspending so much disbelief, Mike. Listen, there's, 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 there's only so much I can suspend. So, uh, Doug Perry? Yeah, exactly. So, John, you're so, saying you're confused about Doug Perry? I mean, you guys already talked about it. It's it's weird because, like, I mean, I think part of the th- reason that he reads the way he reads is because, for whatever reason, he has, like, a like a comedy Bronx accent or, like, some kind of working class accent that, like, you wouldn't uh, assume that an academic would have, which I think is part of the issue is, that, like, we have, like, you know, classes and problems and we hear the way he's like, he's like, you, what's in this thing here? Use guys hey. like it's, yeah, it's like he's doing that the Could whole time. Could you clean off that part over here? Yeah, yeah. that's what, that's what needs to be painted. That's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that he seems to know nothing. I mean, he does seem to actually know nothing about the artifact. And like he calls Giles in, who's just a guy. I mean, you know, someone told him he's an expert. He's like, I don't know anything about artifacts, but I got one, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in charge of it. Yeah. So no, I never noticed this big old seam on the bucks. <laughs> oh, you're right about that. That's interesting. You know, we looked all around for the biggest smart person who could look at this <laughs> thing and figure it out. And it was right you and Sunnydale the whole time. Oh, look at you, Mr. Fancy, with your smart head. Uh, yeah. Can we tell the public about the thing you just said? Oh, we want to wait. Okay, no problem. Okie dokie. <laughs> uh, and then what's this callback to fish hands and paperweight? Okay, so there's two really good callbacks in this in this episode. Uh, one is that uh, you know Xander is being the boyfriend, and he's like, oh, "I'm gonna touch my girlfriend," and then she says, "Get away from me! You have fish hands." Which there's two ways I think you can read that. Either it's a really sick burn, and she's like, "Ah, oh, you went through the trauma of having fish DNA, like replacing your DNA, and it's horrible." And I'm teasing you about it, which is like a really low blow, but that fits Cordelia, right? <laughs> the other thing is that maybe like there's some kind of horrible make out gone wrong story where like, where like he literally developed fish hands after the fish thing. I like that story. I assume that I think literally what's happening is he was just playing with fish sticks. Oh and, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought they were mozzarella sticks. But, cause I, they seem smaller than, than fish sticks, but maybe it's just cause I haven't eaten fish sticks since I had tiny hands as a child. Yeah. So I don't know. Oh, okay. He was I thought just fish hands was fish a reference sticks, to him having fish hands. That's a really good call. So like, I didn't even, I hadn't even thought about that, and I've seen this episode a bunch of times. The other really good callback is um, Giles mentions that he's using the Orb of Thessala as a paperweight, and mm-hmm. uh, that's excellent because the, uh, the the gypsy guy who runs the store says that he was selling them as New Age paperweights, which I love because it slightly implies that Giles is one of the like know nothing New Age shoppers, or at least. That's how the Came guy at the store way. thinks yeah. of him. Yeah, I think that's a hilarious, very subtle and very long, like drawn out punchline. That's like some like um 
some like Twin Pines Mall level, like wait for a very small punchline. I really like that. Oh yeah. man, I, I totally missed that. I didn't catch it. That was an old thing. That makes sense though. That's an amazing joke. That's much better than I thought. I, I, I enjoyed the joke even without knowing that because, you know, Willow's like, I need a whatever that specific orb is. And I was like, oh, I've got one of those. <laughs> and that seems like the hardest thing to get in her list of like things needed for the ritual. Yeah, well, so even since the, the shopkeep is dead, right? Well, the gypsy guy before really was like, because Orb of Thessala sounds like there should only be one, but he's like, ah, I've got like dozens of them. <laughs> Apparently, they mass produced these orbs that only have one use that like is a spell <laughs> nobody knows how to use, but they're like, they're great. They're so shiny. Like, well, they clearly use them as paperweights. You know, they, they like to act like they're made by hand, but they're clearly machined in some process. Yeah. Well, I, I thought the score in this episode was great. The instrumental stuff was really strong. I feel like they really kicked it up a notch from what I expected. I noticed it particularly during the confessional scene with Drusilla and Angel when Drusilla is confessing. And like, there's this really awesome tension in the music that like is much more tension than I've seen from music in this show before. And it just made it uh, much more, it felt like it was like a much darker and more interesting direction for the show. So I like that. I hope there's more scores like that. Yeah, I think overall the full the sound design for this episode is great because there's also like not just soundtrack, but there's like that scene. I think somewhere near this where like it cuts to like Drew in the present day, and she like does this like silent scream thing. But then there's a like um, audio effect to it also. I'm just like this is dope. So yeah, I'm just agreeing with you. Good cool. stuff. And totally. then, John, you said flashback angel is an even bigger creeper. Yeah, totally. When he's stopped yeah. Buffy. Um, but I guess... So Buff- Buffy is 14 at this she's point, She's 14. Right? She's a freshman. She's 14 or maybe 15 at the most. Yeah, but and he's she's- trying to protect her because of Whistler's, you know, teachings. Yeah, but, like, he's he's rolling up on the high school in this, like, spray-painted car. Like, it, it, it really needs to be a windowless van at this point. Like, yeah. it's really, really bad. And Buffy, I just want Travis, to protect the 14-year-olds. Buffy, Buffy's got, like, the lollipop, and she's, ah, it's a total Lolita vibe. It's not okay. Yeah. Although, I mean, uh, SMG's uh, performance is great. It's really funny. Like, yeah, that's a great her doing, you know, Her doing movie Buffy, basically, like, also is basically Cordelia. Like, we never really get to see Buffy go full, like, Buffy um, in the show. So that was fun. Agreed. I actually didn't get to watch it because my DVD was like hella scratched. So I'm just trying to remember stuff. I had to like look up stuff. Can I, can I perform I a, a PSA here? This is the reason that you buy a, a backup DVD copy of things you care about. Yeah. I, I have a backup DVD copy now for both Buffy and Angel and, and some other things. I now have a backup uh, DVD copy of Buffy season three because one of my season three copies is in um, storage right now. So I got some backup. It's in the hell mouth. I'll never get it out. Um, I was going to say, I was going to say, I've watched this so many times. Mike, I never have a good reading on this whole Whistler scene. Like, I feel like it's Which never Whistler really. Scene? Cause the one in New York where Whistler approaches like burned oh, no. out. No, no, no. I, I, I never, I never can't even a, catch a rat motherfucker. Can't even catch a, you couldn't go three rounds with a fruit fly. <laughs> See, that line is amazing. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's just Whistler's this weird demon character 
But Have you, did you look at what he what he acted in and stuff? He was in fair. No, he had actors in a lot of good stuff. And then he and looks then familiar. Is he in Becker? He looks like another comedian, actually. But he um, does look like a comedian. He looks. He's like in that, a bunch of stuff. He's in yes. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, he is. That was his first role after he dropped out of high school, or something like that. But what I was saying is, I never really understood like the vibe because it's a pseudo sexual vibe, right? Because Wizard's like, ooh, she's she she must be prettier than the last Slayer. Yeah, that really put it over the line for me. But then it's like, I want to be someone, which was um, just, it's all, it's weird. It never gets, I don't think I ever get the emotion that it's from all the characters are so unclear in that scene. Like, I don't know what Angel's life has been like enough that he's going out and then like. I, I feel like the motivation is fairly clear and it's all just us wanting to think of him as a likable person to not just immediately be like, he's a creeper creeping on a 14 year old. Like, I don't see a lot of ambiguity in but it. Then, he's like, if he's creeping on a 14-year-old, why is there another old man in New York who puts him on this quest to creep on a 14-year-old in California? That's right. crazy. Or how about the fact that Whistler is like, they're in New York, and then Whistler is like, uh, we have to go, we, we can, I, mean, I can show you what turns out to be Buffy, but we have to go now. And there, it's the middle of night in New York, and then it's like the afternoon. Is it because like, like, is he really? They, he has to do you see think they drove across moment? country in that crappy car? Like, if uh, he had seen her the next day, would it have been like any less clear? Like, or well, I think well, I, I I actually think the specific moment is because that's the moment Buffy goes Finds from being out. a child to being the Slayer. Like, I, get, I mean, I, I, Slayer, I get so that. Like, bleh, 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 bleh. I get that, but it still seems weirdly. Like, I don't think it would have been like terribly less clear if he had seen it seen her fight a vampire later or i don't know or like what if this had happened a few years early earlier would angel be like rolling up on like the elementary school (laughs) that seems just as likely doesn't it but also it wonders like whistler obviously had never shown up before but um but it's like oh she was prettier than the last one but did he try this with angel with the last the slayer that was before buffy or with some other vampire, like or you the, know, yeah, like some other sold vampire yeah. who's not into the Slayer. I was like, never mind. We'll try this again in a couple of years. I feel like the timing is just wrong, though, because like if we're watching the show in '97 or '98, '98 something, '89, when Angel is supposed to go to California, 1996. No, why do you why do you think that? When is it in Saint Manhattan in the '80s or whatever? 1996. It says '96. Yeah, it says '96. Yeah. Oh, I must have read it as '86. Okay, never mind. Fine. I mean, I mean it's it shot like all New York the clothes are anachronistic. That's definitely true. Because Whistler's clothes are, are like he's like an extra from like Deuces Wild or something. He'd be like <laughs> doesn't work. Just like Deuces Wild, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, I expect Andrew Dice Clay to show up at any moment in that scene. It's a and second like, Andrew Dice Clay. It's like, hey, you need to open for me. Get back on stage. Uh, all right, so now we're getting into, uh, Johnny point out, uh, Angel points it out, but this is the second time the gang has been ambushed at the library because Buffy fell for a trap. Absolutely, the end of season one. Yep. They did the same thing in season The exact same thing. <laughs> well, that's how Angel knew it would work. Yeah, but like, I mean, I really, this is where I'm like, guys, the, like the superpower that humans have is that you're safe in your house. After dark, don't have meetings at school. I feel like this is a lesson that you should have learned by now. Especially seems if Buffy's pretty, not there. Yeah. Seems pretty straightforward. 
Yeah, huge flaw in the episode. I guess the other flaw in the episode is the fact that Kendra's there for like all of five or ten minutes, and then then she dies. She That's really about as much line. of that accent I can take. Talk about accents. I think her accent's better this time. She's better than Angel's accent if there's well, an accent competition. Yeah, maybe we just appreciate it more. <laughs> I wish she called herself Kendra the Vampire Slayer before she died. That would have been fun. But... <laughs> Well, she does give her vampire weapon to Buffy before she dies, ensuring that she'll mm-hmm. have no particular defense for herself. Uh, it's a weird, I'm going to die moment. Hey, take this, my, my greatest weapon. All right, great. I'll see ya. Uh, so Dennis says, uh, Drusilla kills via snake hypnotism. This is, of course, about Kendra. They totally waste the opportunity to drink Slayer blood, which is like top shelf stuff for vampires. Yeah, and I know they do it so that it's clear that Kendra doesn't come back, but it just seems like, I mean, vampires really enjoy different types of blood, and the stronger the blood, the better the blood, right? Total waste. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's a a total waste. And I I love the moment later when Spike learns that Kendra was killed by Drusilla, and he's like, wow, really? (laughs) Great, great job. Um, Yeah. But yeah, that is that is weird. You're right. I didn't think about the implications of them drinking the blood being that we would assume that she'd be a slayer later, but that makes sense. I mean, I'm sorry, a slayer, a vampire. Uh, John says, long coat and beanie is the best disguise. Of course, talking about Buffy's amazing disguise yeah. throughout the second part of this episode. The cops are going to be like, who's that blonde, petite longshoreman? <laughs> okay, so this is in the noticing section, but... You know, like the tra- we're kind of transitioning to the second episode in the two-parter, but like Buffy going on the lamb is—it's so crazy and unexpected. Like that—that yep. that end of this first episode where it like arcs where Buffy's coming across the crime scene or whatever, like, and then the cops are there and it's—and then she's gonna run for it is really insane. <laughs> I feel yeah, like yeah, and that one cop like shoots a gun in the school, like yeah, aiming at a kid, like, and snipes there. What is his line about, like, Buffy Summers, if there's trouble, she's behind it. What a dick. But she doesn't get suspended until later when she comes back to get the sword. But not now when the cops are there and then shooting at her. <laughs> Sorry, suspension, that's a bigger deal than that. Like, she's expelled. She's not suspended. You're right, expelled. I'm sorry. She doesn't get expelled when the cops show up and start shooting at her. <laughs> it's later. <laughs> For what it's worth, I don't know if this is is important, but uh, in real life, expelling a student is not something that like the principal can do unilaterally. It's uh, it's like it's like a process because everyone has a right to a public education, and to deprive somebody of that is like an extremely drawn out process with appeals and lawyers and like uh, hearings. You can't just like so, it's not just like one and done. So Snyder pulled like some emergency like. Midnight Sn- Society meeting to like get her. Snyder's dirty. Build. He's got the mayor. Yeah. Snyder's a that, dirty, that's dirty true. man. That's right. I wouldn't put this. Not, not much I would put past Snyder. That's very true. But I feel like also, when cops show up to take a kid. I don't know if he's that dirty. He's just a little quirky. <laughs> <laughs> that counts as a Star Trek joke. It's, yes. Because <laughs> like, his name's Quark? Yeah. Was, yes. Because he's quirky. Yeah, he's okay. quirky. Yep. Quirky. You should have said like he's quirky. Then I would have got it. Can we go back to Xander's arm injury? That is totally not something that you just cast and say, "Oh, it's fine." Like they made it look like, oh, yeah. but the bone was 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 um, 
fracture. It was broken and moved around. Like that's not, he would pass out. Like that somebody on rough. the, on the Buffy, on the Buffy wiki notices that after his, he actually punches somebody with that hand later. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> he would have been in surgery. Most likely he wouldn't have been just casted and feeling fine, by the way, not in any apparent pain. Uh, maybe he's still got some uh, fish hands that are fish DNA. That's like healing. Oh him up. yeah, Super yeah. It's fishy. the fish hands. He's got the fish hands. That's what I it think. Is. It's a fishy story. <laughs> I don't I know. Don't think, I think that John is grasping for something that's going to happen later. I should make a prediction about fish hands being a thing. Like, but the, Xander has like two mutations now. He's got the fish hands mutation, and he has the military intelligence. Uh, and the hyena. Yeah. Oh he's, he's got the soul of a hyena. He's a fucking menagerie over here. <laughs> he's like a level four Xander with all these three bonuses that are so random. I love it. Love it. Yeah. He just needs like like you know like the the hands of a cobbler or something like 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 some another random skill that he'll pick up that's not useful. Uh, so moving on here, Dennis, you said, do you think the female cop is Buffy's stunt double? I'm sure this is verifiable, but uh, I didn't think that. I didn't something. look it up. I just thought about it. I should have looked it up instead of typing it in. I don't know. The cop who shoots at Buffy, I was like, she looks familiar. Maybe it's Buffy's stunt double. Uh, and then moving into the hospital, of course, Buffy shows up to, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Xander's um, there by Willow's side. He apparently contacted Willow's random family in Phoenix, but didn't bother to talk to Oz. That is stone cold. It's not, it's not Willow's random family. It's that Willow's parents are staying Actual with family. family in Phoenix. Okay. So he's okay. calling her parents because they're in Phoenix. All right. I guess I miss misheard that conversation. That but like, you're, you're not wrong that it's cold that he forgets to even say anything to Oz. I mean, the, the, yeah. the thrust of what you're saying is accurate. Yeah. Well, I mean, Oz was prominent earlier this episode, but he hadn't showed up for like three episodes. So I feel like it's reasonable to have forgotten him a little. Yeah. I mean, if, if I've forgotten him as a viewer, then certainly Xander has. <laughs> Um, can we agree that torture never works? I feel like the Giles torture scenes, um, like the thing that works is the amazing, you know, Drusilla, you know, torture, but not just whatever it is that Angel is doing. That's kind of unclear to me what he's doing, but it's torture. Yeah, they're, they're not showing. Yeah. We never did find out how many lights Giles could see by the end though. So it's hard to say. Uh, second Star Trek joke. Um, and then I want to talk yeah. about this briefly. I think Angel and Drusilla as a pair. Oh my gosh, you guys. And Drusilla as a pair are much more lethal than Spike and Drusilla. Like Angel Drusilla, like this is finally them working together as a team. And man, just devastating. And then Spike really is helping them out too. If Angel, Spike, and Drusilla were working together towards a goal, they would accomplish it. They but very like, do. Very I love that what we learn about Spike is that he's like he's just he's trying to make it day to day, and he has a hobby of like killing slayers. But mainly, he just <laughs> wants to like get by. You know, he right, watches watch soccer, game, have you know whatever. Blood. Yeah, I think that's a much more reasonable approach to being a vampire. Although the thing that makes, doesn't make a lot of sense is he he like is the guy who put the judge together, right? Or was right, he just yeah. assuming like the judge is just going to like fuck up Buffy's day and it's going to be really fun, but then she'll break it. Like, I think he knows from experience, like he said that like these, these um, apocalypse plots orchestrated by vampires don't have a great track record. Right. And yeah. He's, he's, he's freaking just, out about but the current But he one. works on him. He's like, yeah, he was responsible for one earlier this season. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, he just wants to eat humans. You know, he doesn't want humans to go away. That's a silly idea. Yeah. Uh, 
Dennis, do you, do you think that uh, the Giles torture scene, did that uh, change your opinion of Angelus at all? Um, I mean, I, I think we talked a little bit that, about that in like a second, but I feel like it was... I feel like, like the, 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 the writers are really trying to make you hate Angelus. Like, clearly. This is yeah. like another, another thing that all the fans would be really upset would be Giles being tortured. So they're really trying to like solidify, like, you're, you hate this person. Or you should hate this person. Yeah, Giles is like one of the most likable characters on the show. He's the voice of reason. He's more reasonable than Joyce 100% of the time. And then yeah. to torture him. Yeah, it's like torturing everyone's favorite dog. Everyone's favorite puppy. Like, what are you doing? Why would you torture that? He's he's fine. There's no reason. Yeah, I mean, like that moment when uh, they're in the hospital and uh, they're just figuring out that they don't know where Giles is is like a genuinely scary moment because I'm like, oh, please don't kill Giles. He's like, and he's like their parent too. He's like, he's their real parent or he's their metaphorical parent who knows what's going on in their lives. How about uh, that reaction shot on Giles when he realizes that it's not Miss Calendar and that he gave away the secrets? That is uh, one of the most incredible pieces of silent acting. I I really, really enjoy that. It's very good. I also think there's a moment where he like knows he's being tricked by Jenny, but like, you know, or he's not sure if this is real or not or whatever. There's like hesitation and then he just goes for it anyway. Yeah, he just rolls with it at some point. He just kind of gives in. I know. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. And that's all in his performance. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah it's fun scene, to have Jenny come back and, and do a guest spot in this episode. We don't really talk about her, but... Well, so but that all. scene where Drew and, uh, yeah, Giles are making out, right, where she's, like, keeps asking about, you know, this information about how the how the gate works or whatever is amazing. It's, like, so clear what's going on, but it's so, it's so well done. And because they're both such great actors, it really comes across. So it's such a fun scene. I think it throws a wrench in whoever's prediction was that they had sex because there's this random line where she goes, we can have everything again, everything that we didn't, didn't say or didn't do or didn't feel. And it felt a very sexual reference. Yeah. Whose prediction was that? I don't know. I, I mean, there's only one person who makes predictions and that one was already denied. We already denied that there. Oh, we did deny it. Well, we can yeah. confirm it. Yeah. We can confirm that denial. Yeah. Uh, it's been, it's been confirmed. Double, double denied. Yep. Double denied. Subtract an extra point. (laughs) An extra point. (laughs) Uh, When the show shows you exactly how wrong you are twice, that's minus two. (laughs) Uh, No, I I accept a negative two points for being wrong when uh, Jenny gets killed and then being wrong again when she's used as a pawn in a scheme uh, and then offers the opportunity for sexual uh, enlightenment. Dennis, you're saying Spike and Joyce. The, the real question is if, okay. if, is if Giles and um, Drusilla had sex and Drusilla appeared like Jenny, would you count that? You know what? If uh, Spike and uh, Angel Jealous could have left the room, I bet it could have happened. But yeah. Yeah. I would have given you a half the fan point. fiction. Fuck, I'll throw that in fan fiction. Half a point. <laughs> yeah, I would give a half a point for that prediction. Uh, Dennis says, We're not doing any half points or double points, by the way, because I'm not redoing the spreadsheet. Just FYI. Come on, John. This doesn't feel like a very nuanced spreadsheet. (laughs) Don't you even (laughs) care about your job? (laughs) All right, I'm going to try for the third time. Uh, Spike and Joyce, fun times, Dennis says. Yeah, I just enjoy their scene together. Um, uh, I actually, um, did you guys ever watch 
Gaycation. It's the like Ellen Page show where she like goes around the world and like investigates kind of gay culture in different cities or um, countries or whatever. I watched one in Japan and like in Japan, they, they go and meet somebody who gets paid to like go and be somebody's friend while they come out to their parents because like, it's still not like okay to come out in Japan, even though like it looks, but anyway, so anyway, that scene reminded me of that, of like Spike being like the friend there to make it okay while she comes out. Yeah. Um, um, I have a note later. We can skip it later because uh, like, like, yeah, the, the Spike Joyce just chemistry is really good. And I it love, is, yeah. I love, it's kind of transparent to what they're doing, but it's a really great device to have, um, you know, Spike and Buffy doing the soap opera, like exposition about what's happening in the episode. And then it would be really, really like overdramatic and, and boring exposition, except that you have Joyce standing there kind of like <laughs> befuddled watching it being the like confused one that, you know, yeah. kind of a standing for, for the once, audience. She really, doesn't, like, yeah. For once she doesn't get knocked out, you know, or whatever, or like just miss it. Yeah. That's a great so scene. She's that's, forced that's to really come well out. Done. I got really nervous during this scene because I have prediction about this and maybe we can get to this in predictions about how, how Joyce will learn that Buffy's a slayer. And like, I'm st- I need judges to decide whether or not she believes that Buffy is a slayer or not. I've already made up my mind. We'll get to it. Okay, great. Can't wait. Can't wait. Um, yeah. So Buffy coming out scene. That's great. Um, so why does Xander's I love you wake Willow? Asks Michael. I think we need to ask a doctor about how comas work. I, I, th- <laughs> I think we all know that you can wake someone up, you know, mostly with um, a kiss from one's true love or depending on how deep the coma is, uh, uh, what is it? A, an utterance of, of love from one's good friend. So I have a, <laughs> I've not, seen it dozens a, of times, dozens of times I've seen it happen just like that. You're like, not a bring friend, in the true like, love. Uh, a friend of a this friend. person's one true love and then we'll get him out of this coma. But until then, the ventilator is going to keep going. A friend of a friend of mine is uh, actually recently w- w- had a traumatic brain injury. He was in a coma and it's something I'm watching from a distance and it's just so awful. Um, and like, yeah, this thing, this scene kind of bugged me because it's like, it totally sends the, like, gives you the idea that like, if you, if some if your loved one is in a coma and you say, I love you to them and they don't wake up, like uh, your love wasn't <laughs> powerful enough. Like, yeah. like well, that's a like, kind of fucked up thing. Well, I think it's just I, a weirdly... W- I don't think it's being all that serious with medical stuff. That's all. That's no, why I mean, I was, that's why I was joking. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just like narratively what it's signaling to me is that, and also based on the way Xander treated Oz is that there could be a rivalry for Willow between Xander and Oz. And like, I know that Xander loves Willow as a friend and they keep it very friendly, but it's like, Oh, is this setting up future rivalry? I actually don't think the show is going to do that. I don't think it's going to go in rivalry direction, but it's setting up potential for rivalry with that moment, which is super weird way to wake Willow. Like, do we need to wake Willow? Can't you just wake when she's needed versus Xander's love? Like, you know, gosh, Willow, we really need you right now. She's like, Oh, Hey guys. Oh, I was just keeping my, I was resting my eyes for a little while. You know, something else like this is a weird romantic moment to signal a direction that I don't think she was going. Anyway, that's my personal feeling. Um, I just, I just thought she just woke up randomly. Totally I don't know. Triggered, totally triggered by the I love you. I mean, I think it's the way I read it is that it's like kind of a switcheroo that, that, you know, that the show pretends to give us the sleeping beauty moment of, you know, Xander is waking her up with his love. But what's really waking her up is this 
other love and it's 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 giving you a switcheroo which is which is which is nice because it gives willow some agency because the switcheroo because oz shows up immediately yeah yeah and she's calling for Oz. Yeah. yeah like i said i don't i don't i mean i still think that he said i love her just because that he's her friend but i don't think he i guess he has told her he loves her as a friend before i think this is season one that he tells her he loves her i think well, he's like, Willow, I love you, but like a friend. I think when she asked him to the dance, I think, right? Am I thinking about this? I don't right? know. I feel like season one, he still treated her as like the person who helps him study for tests and not even very much like a friend. Right. Maybe it was Halloween. Was it the Halloween episode? I forget. It's one episode where he's kind of scorns her. Yeah, there is a specific episode where he's like, you know that they're not going to get together after that. <gasps> I can't remember which Inca one. Mummy Girl. Think of oh, mommy girl. I think that's when he scorns her to go to the dance with Empata. Yeah. Or or just, you know, doesn't scorn her, but just, you know, really treats her badly. I, I mean, but, it happens in a few episodes. Right? I, well, yeah, like six. You know what this episode missed was Jonathan. I'm still, I'm still bugging <laughs> about that. I was like, damn, where's Jonathan? So close to being the perfect episode. Well, it would have been it, perfect. You know, he's got all that Academy Award money, so they couldn't book him anymore for this show. Now who's time for just a little bit stronger. I was trying to think, where would I put Jonathan in this episode? Um, I was, I was thinking maybe Jonathan would be a great, like, like peripheral casualty in the library or like in the hall where they find like a second person and they're like, I got another live one here. And it's Jonathan. He's like, he's like by a locker and he's getting up and he's holding his head and he's going, where's that lady with the crazy face? You know, like thinking that he saw a vampire or something. I thought that would be a fun place to put Jonathan. Just as like typical Jonathan's like wrong yeah, place, what if wrong in time. In the middle of the vampire attack, he runs out of the stacks and he was like, I've been lost in here for weeks. Like, I'm like, whatever that book he was last looking for. You know, what? During, the vampire attack, he, no, no, during the vampire attack, he shows up to the library to return a book and then everyone turns to look at him and he sprints out as a vampire chases him. That would be the Jonathan moment. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, I was going to say, Jonathan could also show up with a gift for Willow um, in the hospital while while they're doing the ritual. He's like, oh, I thought this was a birthday. Anyway. Maybe something like, what are you guys saying? What are you guys saying? Is that Latin? I haven't studied that. Or I don't know. I think Jonathan shows up because he has like this incurable crush on Willow ever since the interrogation scene. Yeah. Oh, that's you. You found it, John. Well, didn't they save Jonathan earlier? Well, unclear. I don't think Jonathan would understand if he was saved either. I don't think he would be like thankful in any way. God, who? Yeah. Is that really? Well, but, uh, Buffy saves him die. from that gun. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They kind of save him from yeah. the pot a little bit. But who's that really boring oh, guy yeah. that she went on that Buffy went on a date with? Um. Never killed boy in the first date. Owen. 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 It would have been nice to see Owen die in this episode. I would love to see Owen just (laughs) like another murder victim or something. That seems kind of dark, but... um, Yeah, that's a little harsh. I mean, nobody likes Owen. I don't know if we need to see him as a murder victim. (laughs) Owen's morbid. I want to see him go goth, but like still have the straight forward. It'd be awesome awesome if Owen was working for the bad guys. That would be cool. That would have been awesome. And then like oh, just, the, Xander could have punched him or something. Owen's hanging him. out at the Sunset Club. That's what yeah, he's doing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He totally would. 
It'd be it nice would, if yeah. the Sunset Club got a second mention. I'll say that. That would be fun if, if we saw the second coming of the Sunset that, Club. That may be a prediction. That may I be yet to come. That, that, that may have. Like, there may be a prediction about that. Sounds like Sunset Club's not coming back, and that prediction is going to be a no. Awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, Dennis says, sometimes Oz talks Yoda-like does. <laughs> Yeah, or just sometimes he's so quippy and stuff that like he starts talking backwards talk where he's like, this is the sense that is not. Like, it gets a little, oh, the Buffy speak gets a little out of hand sometimes. Yeah, with Oz's character, it's quite strange a lot of the time. That's, that's yeah. a good point. I feel like half of that's like Seth Green and half of it are the writers. Like, oh, this guy kind of sounds like a stoner. Let's really write this kind of crazy dialogue. I like the fact he's confused in the episode and doesn't know what's going on. I was like, yeah, yes. he's missed a lot. I feel like I've missed a lot, guys. What's happening? Uh, John, you noticed everything about Giles' liquor supply? So this is really stupid, but uh, I believe because all the bottles that we see, because, uh, you know, Whistler comes in and makes a comment about how there's no good stuff at Giles' place. And all the liquor bottles we see, we see are pretty distinctively shaped bottles. So, And having worked at a liquor store, I'm pretty sure I know what they all are. <laughs> so there's a bottle of Grand Marnier, which is, you know, orange liqueur, like fancy triple sec. There's a bottle of Godiva, I believe, which is a chocolate liqueur that you would make like Chocotinis with. And then there is just, there's the Woodpecker Cider, which is, you know, just an English cider that he pulls out of the fridge and that's it. So like we know Giles is like a scotch drinker. So here's my theory, right? And maybe you guys, maybe you guys have experienced this because if you like making cocktails, what you end up with this problem where you've got like the real liquor and then you've got like the condiment liquor that is like shitty liqueurs and stuff that you use to make a sp- you got to make a specific cocktail, and you go through your real liquor pretty quick, especially when you're drinking a lot, like after your girlfriend got murdered. And <laughs> wait, after your girlfriend was murdered and then placed in your bed, yeah, set- while your favorite <laughs> opera plays on the Victrola, <laughs> and your and your apartment was staged by a serial yeah. killer. Yeah, so like you know, after that you're gonna want to drink a little bit. And uh, you tend to go through the good liquor first. You go, you know, your, your whiskey's gone, your gin is gone, your vodka's gone. And what's left is this, like, you know, the condiment booze of, like, you know, schnapps and shit that you got, like, for one specific cocktail to impress somebody one time, but that doesn't do anything by itself. And I feel like that's yeah. the state of Giles' uh, liquor. I really related to that. I agree. I, Because I, I felt like that line was such bullshit. Where it's like, I don't believe for a second that Giles wouldn't have scotch. Come on. Or that, but it makes sense English that people don't keep alcohol around. It makes no sense. That is yeah. definitely John, John, I was like, that line, you can't Whistler, you're We're idiot. still working on your visa, John. John, you are cut <laughs> off from saying, mute your mic. You cannot say anything more until your visa is accepted. <laughs> we yes. love the English people. All right, let's talk about the Whistler character a little bit. Because I feel like he's from the Seth Green School of Acting. And I'm confused about why he's there because very easily it feels like there could be like Angel could come across a book. You can learn about the slaver that way. Like right. it, what's why yeah. do they need to make a Whistler character to solve the problem of Angel going to California in order to stalk and maybe help out Buffy? Why does the Whistler character need to be there in the present to help direct Buffy to where Giles is? Like the Whistler character feel super unnecessary and i don't understand why he's there unless and this is i guess gets predictions go ahead sorry i'll keep going i just Uh, i have a but okay so if you do if you put your finger up i'm gonna stop i'm like oh oh interesting yeah so the unless like the whistler character signals the arrival of more characters like whistler 
that are there's another world of people that are demons that care deeply about the existence of this layer that are not bad demons. So like another class of characters that are also intervening on, Hey John, we're talking about with Whistler. So I feel like the Whistler must represent another class of demons that are intervening on the behalf of another, like there's good demons and bad demons and Whistler's a good demon. And there's good demons that must care about the fact that Buffy is the vampire slayer and there's a watcher and all this stuff exists. But like, I don't understand (laughs) The Whistler character feels unnecessary. Why bring him up in season two at the end here? Except in season three, he's going to be important because who's going to track down Buffy and make sure that she fulfills her destiny, especially if she's run away from home, which happens in this episode. Oh, the Whistler character is going to track her down. But that's, it's just a stupid character. <laughs> like they could have solved this problem. Angel could have read a book. Uh, he could have like wanted to kill the Slayer. There's so many other things that could have happened, except they need something to rescue and put Will, um, not Willow, but Buffy back on track in season three or someone like a Whistler for her. Anyway, any. Sorry. Yeah, I could do without Whistler in this episode for sure. He's not. Yeah, I think your, your predictions are, are just verging on predictions. So it's hard to like. Yeah, it's, you're right. I'm just like, what's going on with the uh, show? Like if you tell me. But I, do, I, I mean, I don't think it's spoiling too much to say that. I think it, you're right that it's like expanding the Buffy verse. Yes. Right. Yes. But, but yeah. And it like Whistler sucks. He's dumb. But like that's his point is like not just to give to move Angel from A to B, but also to be like there's larger a larger world of good and evil demons and humans that it like, feels like the way that Angel was introduced in season one, where Angel shows up way early and he like, you know, hey, like runs into someone outside of the bronze and it's like, hey, like there's just these inane conversations Angel has. You know, Whistler feels almost that inane, like he doesn't need to be here except you're right, for expanding the Buffy verse. Of like, oh, there's a new character that's coming. Uh, we'll tell you more. More coming soon. <laughs> and I don't think. It, uh, I mean, um, after this episode aired, like right after this episode aired, the Angel TV series was announced. So, like, it's kind of set up for that. In that oh, way, so Whistler's going to be a. Oh, that makes sense. Whistler's a character from Angel. All right, got it. Maybe, or maybe not. Uh, definitely, definitely a very important character in Angel. You'll find out when we do the Angel podcast, Mike. I bet he gets killed episode one of Angel or episode two of Angel. And then I mean, Angel's Whistler, kind of wrong. So, so the, Whistler represents uh, an agent of the PTB, as it's called, the powers that be. So, in some wait, ways, it, wait, in some, Travis, if we ever, we may do an Angel podcast one day. Be careful here. I'll be careful. Um, I don't think we're ever going to do an Angel podcast. I know. I know. It's a, that's a sad, but that's, that's, that. Travis, Listen, be careful. Travis. Close your eyes. <laughs> no, even with the habit, with that means you die. When you close your eyes, you die, guys. This episode taught us that. Um, so he kind of he kind kind of closes some plot holes that I don't know if the writers really thought episode one. Oh, okay, Josh, sweet. So he wrote episode one, right? So I don't know if the if the writers knew that they were going to have to close that weird plot hole of why was Angel in Sunnydale ever because it, it wasn't like he was really drawn to the hellmouth hellmouth power like how other creatures seem to be drawn to it so i can't tell how much of whistler is solve some plot points and resolve and resolve some plot points from season one which is why is he here and then introduce the concept of these sort of overarching good and evil battles um, within the buffy first because this is the second apocalypse right there was a Season one was one apocalypse. This is season two, second apocalypse. 
And um, so he just kind of, I guess we don't see a lot of, um, we see a lot of bad characters, evil characters in the series. We don't see a lot of quote, good characters. And Whistler's kind of a, an agent for good for, from the powers that be. So I, I don't know. I mean, his scenes don't really add a whole lot. How would lot. you define him, John? Like uh, Whistler? Yeah. What's his, cla- what's his um, alignment, you think? Oh. He's probably like lawful something. I don't know. I think he's, hmm. yeah, I think he's lawful good. You think so? If, if, if being aligned with the powers that be constitutes being lawful, then definitely I think he's lawful good. But if he's stealing booze Wait, are you saying stuff, lawful he's probably or not lawful? good, right? What's that? What's that, Dennis? Lawful. <laughs> might, um, but if he's good. like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he might, he might not be good, but he might be, but I think he's lawful. Or maybe it's the other way around. No, I think he's good. I, he's I, I good, think I think but... he's good. Maybe not lawful, but it depends on what you mean by lawful. I think in the Buffy universe, that's a little bit hazy. Isn't he like the yeah. Q from Star Trek? Aren't, don't they like show up and meddle with people? Yeah, I don't think he's like the Q. The Q are just like chaotic neutral. Yeah, uh, Q is definitely chaotic he's... neutral. Okay. Can't speak for the rest of the continuum. There, that's a little bit more enigmatic. But yeah. that's a much longer and uh, unnecessary conversation that we do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a weird character to introduce. Doesn't I mean, except for expanding Buffy versus like I don't know why he's there. I feel like there's a lot of other ways to solve this problem, but they want to introduce this new character. They have some plans for season three for this character. Clearly, they know so, they're going to have a third. So season. I guess the question is: Is his explanation? Mike, for you, to the events of season one, is it satisfying or not? His explanation? Yeah. So in season one, we're like, why is Angel in Sunnydale? So oh, watch right. this girl. Oh, watch is, this, is this satisfying? Is that, is that a satisfying? Uh, I feel like hole? by now we're so far beyond yeah. season one. Like, I don't well, want to ever think Mike about isn't. season one again. I guess, like, I, I don't care why Angel's there. It's not necessary. I didn't think I okay. needed to know why. Um, but I also assumed the show would answer that at some point. And if this is the answer, I'm kind of disappointed that that's the answer. Like, I, I Angel's motivation seems really muddy to me, except he's going to be a good person. And then, it, as it turns out, like, he's he doesn't have a... He has a soul now, and that that soul is the only reason he's a good person. And that's why Whistler visited him, because he was cursed with a soul by the gypsy and then that's taken away from him through another you know this curse reversal whatever like then he's like really evil and dangerous to all the people he'd met and i feel like i feel like whistler is kind of responsible for setting that up you know without thinking through the consequences of his actions so he's like kind of um a gray ethical character he's like oh i'm generally recruited to make sure that this uh slayer stuff works out well and this guy's kind of just got a soul the vampire with a soul that's interesting let me connect him with the the current slayer and let's see if we can maybe help her out because the vampire you can yeah yeah this works like he's not thoughtful not very smart he's just kind of he's not remorseful at all he's not remorseful he's he's not remorseful and then like he doesn't take any responsibility for his actions and then when buffy shows up he's like kind of weird about his answers he's just a big fucking idiot who has no business (laughs) meddling in this universe it's (laughs) he's worse than like like a q because he's like his agenda is so much less meaningless, meaningful. He's just a big fucking idiot that like knows a little bit, 
but doesn't know what will happen, doesn't think anything through. So Whistler's an idiot in this universe. But in the, on the last episode of Buffy, where Whistler makes Buffy travel back in time, you'll see what it was all about. <laughs> when, uh, uh, can we get you, to, because uh, yeah. your next question, oh, Mike, can, we have an finish? actual answer to. Oh, yeah. So can I finish, can I finish, one, can I finish one thought? Cause you said, because you I feel like we've been on this Whistler thing for so long. It's I think not we're about Whistler. It's not about Whistler. After the trap happens and Buffy comes back to library, we didn't talk about this, but she goes, Willow should never have tried that spell. And she never accepts responsibility that it was a total trap and it was her fault that Kendra dies and all the bad things happen. She says, she says that Willow should never, I told the Willow not to do that spell or something like that. So she has, she accepts zero responsibility for the death of Kendra. That's a good point, Travis, because Willow's never cast a spell that like went super wrong before. Not like this anyway, but Buffy's totally done this shit before. Oh, worried. She abandoned everybody. Yeah. And this is one. And nobody calls her on it being a trap either. Yeah. Except for, except for Angelus. I mean, Angelus is like, you fall for it every time. Ah, she does. All right. Uh, Who's the weird old guy that tells young Buffy she's a vampire slayer in the flashback? I'm surprised uh, you need an explanation for this. Yeah. That's Buffy's first watcher. Um, So he was played by Donald Sutherland in the movie. And he's played by, I don't know. Bill Murray's brother in this one. I don't no, actually, this guy I is really scene. no. I, you, you've seen him in a his, his name is Richard Riley. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. It's spelled funny. R I E H L E. But he's in a million things. He's in Office Space. He's in. Oh, he's. Uh, uh, yeah, I just couldn't see this. I couldn't see the scene, so I was trying to remember. Not one, not two, but he's Friar three Trek. Friar Trek. Star Treks. He's been in three kinds of Star Trek. Um, he and is, he's uh, um, FDR on Seinfeld. Really. Oh, that's yeah, he's awesome. Kramer's friend of me. That's great. He's uh, he's Captain Picard's best friend in the uh, alternate universe, where Captain Picard becomes a happy old man with children. Aw, is, is the crossover a fan fiction of Captain Picard learning to become a Watcher? Um, in a way, he watches his planet die from uh, radiation or whatever. That's what we're doing right now. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, I, I, it's a reference to the first, uh, first the movie. Then, okay, I didn't, I didn't immediately catch that. I understand now that these movie, that movie is canon. Okay, cool. It's partially canon. It's like an edited canon. Should I look back like, for the angel, uh, angel in a van, or angel in the old car? Yeah, they bump it. They bump it. He bumps into the pike. And he's like, "Watch it, man." Is there a George Lucas-like remake of the <laughs> movie? Oh, man, I would love if they did that. Like, not now, obviously, but like like between seasons, if they made a Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie that was just like the original movie remade. Okay, so they did. No, I, I think you just take the original movie and just like subtly put David Boreanaz in the background somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing, well, the main thing that needs to be edited from the movie canonically is that Donald Sutherland claims like he's the only watcher and that he like inherits the power from it. he like reincarnates so that shit needs to be edited out well thanks for answering that question because uh i didn't think about that first movie um then there are two crazy things that happen here uh in act three of this season episode two here snyder is working with the mayor apparently we learn after he expels buffy but also he thinks the cops are stupid and like, I had just seen him in a scene where it appeared that he and the cops were working together. And then he totally is like, eh, cops are idiots. 
I, and then calls like, tell the mayor things are going according to plan, which is the plan to expel Buffy so they can destroy Sunnydale or whatever after Buffy leaves town or whatever he thinks is going to happen next. Anyway, there's just this, the Snyder conspiracy is absurd to me. Uh, and it's, it's like more story than this episode can handle to have the Snyder <laughs> thing going on in the background. Like we're totally following Buffy, grabbing the sword, headed off to fight Angelus. And then it's like Snyder's like, meanwhile, you're expelled. And also this, I'm working with a bear. <laughs> it's like, it's insane. This is like only happens in shitty improv when like someone just adds a ton of details to a scene that doesn't, doesn't need any more details. Getting oh, expelled yeah. is enough. We don't need this other shit. Wait, Mike, you didn't know that uh, Buffy was improv. You didn't, you didn't know that about the show. I feel like Snyder made up those lines to make his character more important. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to get written out. I'm going to build up this second story. He's like, I better say this. Well, Whedon isn't on uh, the set today. Uh, and then the next stupid observation. So there's two simultaneous rituals that take place. There's the ritual that Angelus pulls off to try and open up the gate to hell. And then there's the ritual that Willow's pulling it off at the same time in order to restore his soul. And wow, this is what satanic television looks like. When they're cutting back between the two rituals going on, I'm, I, I feel like if I was a parent walking in while my kid was watching this show and this is the only moment I saw, this show is going off forever. Like, there's no way. This is, if I was a good Christian mom or dad, I got to take away the TV and put it on the side of the curb. It's too much. <laughs> watching it, I was like, this is, this is fucking rad. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes you're so deep down the rabbit hole of Buffy, you, you don't step outside enough to be like, this actually aired on TV. Like, I can't believe it aired on yeah. TV. I feel like the modern sensibility would have been, been fine for HBO, but for like a regular network in the era of Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, this would have been like a stupid gawker post about how, uh, how Christians are actually right that this show should go off the air. Oh, do you really think that there's more like satanic panic now than in the 90s? I feel like there's probably less now. Man, I, I don't know. I feel like we've gotten more evangelical than we were in the 90s, right? That's uh, hard to say. I feel like we're more uh, more quick to respond to things that don't fit with our worldview and then for those things to like that to be news, like the emotional reaction to a thing to be news as news is more yeah. new. So mm-hmm. like that's a, like what's going on in this episode is like could be a headline. Like what's going on two satanic rituals in a television show? Um I, I think that there's another Although, there. Yeah, I think there's there's different stuff going on culturally now because there's like I do think that there's been an increase in like evangelical like stuff in America, but then also like on the opposite side, there's like the left is now more likely to like attack ourselves, each other, you know, and like like that whole thing where like Tina Fey made a cake scene, like a that cake performance that like just blew up with every like. Everybody's saying, everybody's saying how wrong that was and everything. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, that could have been like not the best thing to say at the moment, but like it's all just everybody on our, on the left side attacking each other. Right. Well, meanwhile, yeah, there's the, some like, truth to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else? Let's see. Dennis's kill count and recommendations. All right. Um, so because I missed chunks of the episode, I actually had to go onto the Buffy Wikipedia page to get the kill count. But for the two episodes, um, 11 vampires and seven humans. So pretty high kill count. Although they counted um, a few people that died off screen that were mentioned. 
Um, so I don't know if I would have counted them, but I didn't trust my own counting because I like missed huge chunks. Um, and then my recommendations, um, I chose uh, The Haunted Palace with Vincent Price and Lon Chaney Jr. Because it both has like um, the duality, like Angel, where it's got Vincent Price playing a good character and a bad character. Um, and it's also, um, even though The Haunted Palace is like a Poe poem, and it was um, uh, advertised as a Poe movie, which were really popular at the time, it's actually the first Lovecraft movie. Um, it's the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Um, so it's about trying to push dimensional barriers, which is what this episode is about. So I recommend that. And I also recommend the Fulci movie, The Beyond, which is a zombie movie that also is about the gates to hell. Uh, so, And we're also going to re- recommend Drifting Classroom, which I haven't seen, but I'm pumped about. Uh, does anyone else have any recommendations? All right, that's what uh, I got. Just, just what I saw, The Woman in Black that you recommended on a previous episode. It was a ghost, ghost movie. It's really good. Cool and very British, like yeah. People's behavior is very British in that movie. It had a little Wicker Man vibe, which I liked. It was fun. Yeah, with uh, how the the weird town that uh, someone from the city goes to visit a strange British town, and it was really nice ghost story. Also, apparently based on a stage play and a book, but the stage play is like the third most staged play of all time in the West End in London. Really? Wow. uh, I've I've listened to the book on tape, but I didn't know I'd I'd see that stage play. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's not playing anymore, but it was one of those like third most staged of all time in terms of how long the review lasted. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to Buffy Virgin. Um, Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Buffy Virgin Pod, on Instagram. Uh, Buffy Virgin, you can see Dennis's monster drawings. You can also catch those if you're following his Patreon for Dennis St. John, patreon.com. We're also on Facebook where there's a schedule update and opportunity for you to talk at the show. Also, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Tell your friends, watch more Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.